Welcome to another episode of More Happy Life, the podcast that will teach you how to trigger upward spirals of health and happiness in your life. I'm Andy Proctor, a happiness activist whose goal is to make your life more happy with science-backed strategies and powerful interviews. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. Welcome back to another episode of More Happy Life. You will be happy that you listened to this episode tonight. We have Aubrey Phelps, who is somebody who was actually on this podcast before. She is coming back. She's that good. Uh, She's a return guest. So if you listen to episode 79 about how our poop affects our happiness, she is the expert behind that one and our little experiment with my testing my own microbiome uh, through the company that she uh, works for, Biome. So she is an amazing person, and I just I had to get her back on the show to ask her even more questions that we could really learn more from her uh, about how our nutrition and what we eat affects our happiness. So I'm so excited to introduce her. So she, Aubrey Phelps, MS, RDN, is a registered dietitian nutritionist who focuses on prevention and restoring wellness through a return to an emphasis on the basics of health, which she says are nutrition, movement, breath, and sleep. How about that? That's pretty powerful stuff right there. Uh, She specializes in prenatal and pediatric nutrition and currently works at as the director uh, of wellness for Biome. Uh, where she works to help clients reestablish balance and wellness through a focus on gut health and healing. That's one of the things I love about Biome is that it's not just a microbiome test, but it's also a microbiome. It's it's an applied microbiome test. Once you get your results, like you, if you listen to episode seventy nine, she basically was uh, doing that for me after I tested my microbiome. Uh, she said, okay, here's what we found, but also here's what you can do about it. So if you're interested in that, uh, definitely check out episode 79. And I will also have a link in uh, this episode as well in the notes uh, where you can uh, learn more about that too. And um, Aubrey, really, she really believes that her first role as a health pra- healthcare practitioner is that of teacher, which I highly appreciate. Uh, she strives to empower clients with the knowledge and the skills necessary to pursue and maintain their health and well-being, not just giving them this kind of pill and go for it, but you know, how can you both educate yourself about what you're, what you're doing for your health as well as uh, things that can help maintain um, their health and well-being. So I really love Aubrey's approach. This is why I, I really wanted to have her back on the show really excited to have her back. And so this is an amazing episode, guys. Uh, It's jam-packed full of just these golden nuggets of of, uh, some of the studies that she's read about and lots of tips on how uh, the the things that we eat can affect our our well-being, our happiness. So please tune in to this, uh, make the time to listen to this one all the way through. It's so, so good. We're going to definitely have her back on the show again later and um, enjoy. And without further ado, we'll welcome Aubrey to the show. Aubrey, it's so good to have you back on the show. I'm so excited to have you here again on the More Happy Life podcast. And uh, it's just, it's been too long, right? It's been too long. 
I totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> I loved having, I loved last time when we were talking about, uh, you know, my, one of my favorite subjects, which is poop. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> it was great to kind of open that door and, um, and really dig into, uh, some of the science behind that. And I just thought, man, we have so much we could talk about still. And, um, and you know, Aubrey's just like full of this knowledge. And so why not, uh, why not have you again? So I, I'm, I'm super excited to have you back and to just start diving into some of this stuff, um, that I think you have some great expertise on and that is really helpful to the listeners. Yeah, I'm excited to, to jump into it. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So so let's just do that. So um, so I, I specifically uh, was just uh, really fascinated by how much you were talking about kind of the things that we eat and our kind of our this this correlation between our nutrition and our mental well-being. And, you know, I talk mm-hmm. about the science of happiness and how to have a more happy life on this podcast. And so, you know, um, I mean, food is science, right? Like we, we eat all these things in our body. And so uh, each one of those things, I mean, think about uh, you take one little pill and it can affect your entire body. It's like, you eat an entire hamburger and like, how does that affect your body? You know? So (laughs) I think about like, uh, you know, how, how does like, how does what we eat really kind of affect us emotionally? What can we kind of talk about in that area? Yeah. So I think the big thing that kind of summarizes all of, of the answer to that question is that, when we eat foods that are nutrient poor, when they're micronutrient poor, so like vitamin mm. mineral poor, yeah, we are setting ourselves up for problems. So, and by that I mean, so your neurotransmitters, those little messengers that tell your body how to feel, how to react, what should be happening. Um, a good one is like serotonin. Most people are familiar with serotonin, and serotonin yeah. is that like feel-good hormone. Right. Um, so that neurotransmitter is made from tryptophan, and tryptophan is an amino acid, which is part of protein. Um, so if you're not getting high-quality protein, uh, if you're not getting like good sources of tryptophan or like fish and eggs and chicken and turkey, that's why oftentimes after like Thanksgiving, you get that nice, really sleepy, calm feeling because you've just gotten a huge tryptophan boost, and that's going to encourage serotonin production. So if you're not getting that, you're not going to make serotonin. And then in yeah. order for tryptophan to be converted to serotonin, your body needs iron, it needs zinc, it needs B3, it needs B6, and it needs vitamin C. And if you don't mm. have enough of those things, you can't convert it to, to serotonin and you won't have serotonin. So that's just one neurotransmitter, but all of them are like that. All of them require a very specific amino acid, a very specific protein building block, and all these vitamins and minerals to make the conversion into the neurotransmitter. Yeah. So when you eat crappy food that doesn't have vitamins and minerals <laughs> right. and you know, like a candy bar, you're essentially just getting the calories. You're not really getting so any vitamins good. and minerals. It does taste so good, but it's super nutrient poor. So mm, you're not going to get yeah. what your body needs to create these really good neurotransmitters. Mm. Man. So that's kind of like the basic takeaway of like, why is junk food not great for you? Because 
then you're super deprived of all the nutrients you need to make these conversions to feel good and feel balanced and not have inflammation, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So this is fascinating because I, I mean, I, back uh, in the day, I was kind of doing some research myself, reading a lot about kind of the correlation between um, kind of all these mental illnesses out there that are just mm-hmm. rampant today. And this kind of micronutrient um, not necessarily deficiency, but maybe like insufficiency. I don't know if that's even a word. Right. Um, but yep, like, yep. <laughs> yeah, chronic insufficiency, I guess. Right. And I just, I saw this correlation that I'm like, why aren't we looking at this more? I mean, there's how many people out there, like, what is it? Like one in five people who struggle with some sort of mental illness. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Do you, what could you say about that, that kind of correlation? So I think that, you know, in terms of we're, we live in a society that wants a quick fix and we know mm, from yeah. research that people are more willing to just pop a pill than they are to make sweeping dietary changes. Mm. So if I'm telling you, yeah, you could get better if you ate a whole food plant-based diet and you cut out all the junk food that tastes really good and that's super convenient, or you could take this pill every day. <laughs> Most right. people are going to opt for the pill. the pill. So, so it's really, I think that has a huge part of it. I think the other part is that so many people are going to see doctors who nutrition is not their area of expertise and it shouldn't be. Mm. That's not, right. they have so much else that they have to stay up on in the literature that right. that's not their job. But because yeah. of that, so many people are, one, not getting the information they need, and two, spending so little time with their doctor that, it's, again, it's easier for their doctor to just prescribe something than for them yeah. to try and go through stages of change, behavior change, motivation for change, which is hard <laughs> and takes so time. Hard. So much harder. Um, <laughs> exactly. So I think <laughs> that's a lot of it. The other thing is we have so many studies that show that even when you're eating a really healthy diet the micronutrients are still less abundant than they were several decades ago. Our soil is depleted. Our water is depleted. Our Mm. growing practices are all about just getting as much as we can out of the product rather Mm. than like really nurturing a good quality product. So because of that, the carrot we eat today is not as micronutrient dense as the carrot we ate hundred years ago. So that's the other thing is even when you're eating really well, you still might be low in some of these things. Right. So, so for somebody who's thinking like, oh my gosh, yeah, I just ate this salad and I'm like still feeling horrible. Um, or, or, or I'm looking at the salad and I'm like, maybe this isn't as nutritious as I, as I thought it was. Where can people, where's like a place people can go you know, to get the, the, the types of vegetables or, you know, kind of produce, I guess you could say that, um, that is maybe a little bit more nutrient dense or, or, or do we just kind of throw in the towel and say, okay, let's, let's just eat more of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's such a great question. And I think it's a combination. I think first of all, you know, the more you can, shop local and and seasonally as well as like organically those are all good things um those those anytime something has to be organic's a big thing because it's it's going to you're not 
you're really weeding out and trying to get the most robust plants when you're starting to use fertilizers and pesticides because essentially the plants have to stand up to the pesticide. Mm. So you have to question like, okay, well, what, what does yeah. that mean in terms of how my body processes it? If it's like that mm. much hardier, is my body able to handle it in the same way? Because right. um, generally the goal of plants, like they want to reproduce, which means they want to make it through the digestive tract of another animal as smoothly as possible so that their seeds can get out and they can continue on their way. It doesn't serve them mm. well for it to take a long time or for that to be difficult to do. But when you're trying to like put these plants under pressure, like pesticides, so they have to survive mm. that, the defense mechanisms they have now, all of those things have really changed the quality of the plant. Um, oh, okay. So that it changes their defense mechanisms. It makes them more That's like... interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it talks about, you know, the studies look at um, they have been studies that show organic plants tend to have a higher level of micronutrients um, mm-hmm. and have tend to have a higher level of um, of antioxidants as well because essentially the plant that's under that duress has to use some of its antioxidants to keep itself alive. So now mm-hmm. you don't get to eat them because it had to use them to survive. So it, right. it, it lowers that quality. Yeah, it's really interesting. See, it's starting to make sense to me now. I'm like, is it just the soil or is this, is this like propaganda? Like, or, or is it like, how does this, and this totally makes sense. This is exactly why I wanted you to come back on the show, Aubrey. So yes. Keep, and that's going. the other thing too, is when, when you're growing with fertilizers, you don't, so like, I worked on a farm for a little while and we were an organic farm. And so when they do it, we rotate crops. So you don't grow the same Mm. thing in the same place every year because each plant depletes different nutrients from the soil and each plant gives back different nutrients to the soil. So if you grow the same plants in the same place, they're going to get worse and worse because they're going to deprive the soil of the nutrient they need. So you're supposed to rotate the fields, grow cover crops, do things that like, rejuvenate the soil but when you're growing in like a commercial environment and you're using fertilizer you're essentially synthetically trying to replicate what naturally should have been happening because you're trying to do it Mm. faster and more efficiently we can't do it as well as nature does it so again you're depleting those plants because you're you're essentially putting them on steroids you're saying like, well, yeah. the soil isn't good enough here. I'll give you the steroids so that you still can grow. So right. it's at the expense of the quality of that plant. Mm. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that all makes a huge difference. <laughs> that's so interesting. And man, so, so, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about how this affects kind of our, you know, if we've been eating these kinds of plants, you know, or these kinds of uh, vegetables and fruits and kind of produce um, for the last, you know, 10 years or however long our whole life, right? Like how, how does that maybe affect our, our, our microbiome health? Like in that, that's, that's kind of where <laughs> like, you know, uh, yeah. into this kind of thought too, cause that's, it seems like that's where, I mean, you're talking about serotonin, right? And mm-hmm. it like, uh, what is it like? I don't know, 80% of our serotonin or something like that is from our... Depending on the study, what? it's 80 to 90%. <laughs> Man, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's, let's do this. This is so interesting. <laughs> yeah, so 
you're, you're now getting a double whammy, right? Because if you're eating poor quality foods, your serotonin is already going to be compromised because you don't have the cofactors. That's what the, the vitamins and minerals necessary for those conversions are called, are cofactors. cofactors. So you already mm. don't have the cofactors because you're not eating them. And then if you're eating foods that are damaging your gut lining too, then your gut's already not producing serotonin like it's supposed to. So now you're getting a double whammy that you don't have the mm. building blocks to even make serotonin. So even if your gut was good, you still wouldn't be able to do it. So it's like, yeah, you're wiping out those serotonin levels and that's going to have ripple down effects of you feeling anxious and depressed and mm -hmm. unbalanced and not sleeping well because serotonin is what helps you stay asleep. So this ripples into this really crappy cycle that affects every day of your life right? So yeah. it makes a huge difference in terms of your, your quality of life and your mental health if this yeah. neurotransmitter is always at a deficit. Man, this is like, this is amazing. I mean, I've been thinking about like sleep and trying to improve myself. I've been download an app to kind of track my sleep so that I could, you know, <laughs> look at it over time and, you know, kind of correlate that with other things that I've been trying. And, um, and yeah, that totally makes sense. That's so, so interesting. And it makes me want to just like grow my own garden or something. I don't know, but. <laughs> we so, do so, at my house. We actually have wow. a little like, box garden out back and we compost our own stuff and put that into the garden and then we grow some of our own. And like, so we try to do a lot of that and we also mm. try to shop local and seasonally because that's the right. other big thing is that as close to the further away from peak ripeness you have to pick something, the less nutritionally dense it is because you mm. want it to get really ripe. Then everything has grown into its full capacity. But if you're getting stuff from California and you live out on the East Coast, they right. have to pick it early enough that it can make it in transport all the way to the East Coast. So they have yeah. to pick it before it's actually ripe. And Yes, it will ripen slightly in terms of it's edible, but the studies show that it doesn't actually ripen much further in terms of the maturing of the nutrients. So it kind of like hmm. is stopped wherever it was picked off the tree. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's wow. So, what, what kind of, what can people do who, you know, I mean, it's like, let's say they live in, I don't know, New York city or something in the, they can't really have a garden. Um, but they, but they want to get this as, as, as nutrient rich as possible, you know, mm -hmm. would, I mean, do you suggest supplementation? Um, like what, what do you think about that? So I think I typically suggest a combination of doing, okay. you know, nutrient dense foods as best you can. And then also supplementing. I think most people, especially if not if, I mean, I think most of us live in a pretty stressed out state. So <laughs> yeah. anytime you have that added stress, stress in and of itself requires more of those cofactors. So you're mm. likely to be more deficient in those things if you are stressed a lot and undergoing a lot of stress. So typically a multivitamin is a good idea just to cover all of your bases. Yeah. Um, 
And then if you're talking about like women who are having babies and nursing and then doing that all over again, that depletes their entire system. Mm. So building them back up, you know, you have a lot of women suffering from postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and there seems to be a high correlation with inadequate nutrients, inadequate sleep, extra stress, and that rippling into this kind of like just perfect storm of Mm. mood disorders in one of the most vulnerable times of their lives. So then you have women that never really get out of that because they're often the ones that are getting up with the baby, that are nursing the baby, that are losing the sleep. I mean, my kids are two and four. They sleep through the night almost all the time now. And I still wake up at least once a night simply out of habit because I did it for so long that my body Mm. still doesn't know how to like actually sleep through. Wow, man. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so hard. Um, yeah. So that, and that seems like that's, that's one of the areas that you are really focusing too and are pretty passionate about helping, um, helping kind of the, the, those mothers who like, right. The yeah. part of mothers with, with this very thing, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I my a lot of my private practice is focused on perinatal and pediatric nutrition because I kind of have this mindset of like, gosh, if you could get mom to do stuff right while she's pregnant, she is going to put baby on a better footing when baby enters the world, and then maybe she knows what she's doing, so this baby grows up just knowing how to eat well and live mm. well, and you've just affected two lives potentially more because then baby has their own children and they always grew up in this style, right? So now you have this ripple down mm-hmm. effect of generation teaching generation how to eat well and how to live well. Um, so that maybe you don't need to keep coming to see me because you've learned this from your parents because they learned <laughs> it when they were pregnant, et cetera. So yeah. it, it feels like this really great opportunity to affect more than one life at a time. Hmm. Um, and moms are so much more motivated to do things for their growing baby than they maybe yeah. are for themselves. So right. yeah, it can be a great time to really make some positive changes. Wow. Like what a, what a powerful mission. That's really cool. Yeah. It's one of my favorite and, and you'll love this too. Cause one of the things that really affects depression levels and overall mental health is our omega-3 status. So our, like our Mm. fish oils and our seafood. Mm. And so science has shown that I I was, I listened to this great conference that was talking about doing a study in rats where um, the mothers that were fed the same fat, but not DHA, not one of the really good brain healthy omega threes, mm-hmm. their offspring had higher levels of depression and anxiety later mm-hmm. on in life wow. than the mothers who were fed the DHA. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So DHA. Just from, and it, and it didn't even matter what the babies were fed after they were born. It was all about what mom had when mom was pregnant, it had nothing to do with their diet after they were born. They still had this higher propensity for these mood disorders simply because of the exposure in utero. Man, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, I think yeah. about that sometimes with like, you know, being like, a, I just with, with different, you know, situations with babies and pregnancies and all that stuff. And it's like, um, you know, I was, I think I was, I was actually breastfed by multiple different uh, people. Cause like my mom was sick and then like, 
I was also wow. a C-section baby. So I think about that and I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I, I, I inherited like all these different microbiomes uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know who these people are, but like, I'm grateful to them, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I, it's fascinating that it can affect you that much. Those little things when you're, when you're, when you're a child or when you're oh, in, yeah. not even, you know, born. Yeah, exactly. The in utero, all these things are happening there. I mean, there's a whole study, it's called epigenetics, which is the study mm, of how yeah. what we eat affects whether a gene gets turned on or turned off. So that's happening even before a baby is born, depending on what nutrients are available or what stressors are available. Mm. Baby's body, the genetics already start changing based on the environment in which it's growing in utero. So it's just, it's incredible that, you know, and I don't, I I feel like sometimes these, that sounds so like fatalistic, like, oh my God, well, what can I do? Right. Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I don't view it that way. Like it, it may mean that you come into the world with some, some strikes against you, but I think having that knowledge allows you to work harder at kind of overcoming those things. So. You know, for example, both of my kids were emergency C-sections. It was not at all what I yeah. thought was going to happen, but that's how it went. Right. I also made sure that both of my kids were breastfed for 15 months. And I made sure yeah. that they had probiotics right away because they were C-section babies. And like, so I did things mm. to really try to advance them despite the start they got in life. Um, my daughter like even that. was a 30 weeker. So she was a preemie um, and developed a severe feeding aversion and had to be fed through a feeding tube. I pumped for her so that she would still get the breast milk and not get formula simply because I felt she already had so much working against her that if I could provide her with something like this, I really wanted to do that. Um, so things like yeah. that, you know, from a very early age, I worked really hard to try and overcome the obstacles that my kids were already facing by no fault of their own mm. in order to try and make sure they didn't have a negative outcome. Good, good mom. Good mom. No, that's, that's really, that's really, uh, great. And it's also, I think helpful for other people who are thinking about this and who are, or maybe who are pregnant right now. Right. And they don't know whether mm-hmm. what's going to happen. I mean, you don't, you like, you, you weren't expecting that, like you said, um, no, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's so critical, right. It's so important and, and, uh, and what a great thing to, to understand. So, um, so yeah, speaking of, of, of epigenetics, you, you mentioned epigenetics mm-hmm. and I, I feel like this, this is a fascinating field and it is. <laughs> um, especially, you know, where, where the microbiome, uh, uh, is concerned. And so I, I just, I, I'd love to have you kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, maybe w- what can people do to, improve their microbiome health and and maybe maybe switch some of these these epigenetic switches for the positive right yeah so one of the big things to look at is again getting back to like that nutrient dense food so we know that the better bacteria the good healthy bacteria that seem to have a um, beneficial effect on our health do better and thrive with lots of plants and fiber. They, they eat that, mm. that nurtures the good guys. Whereas 
fatty foods, really sugary foods, that tends to nurture the not so good guys. So you have a lot of control over who's living in you <laughs> if, yeah. you um, if you think about what you're feeding them. So, and this, I have to tell you this because I, it, it's just so fascinating. And we were talking about babies going back to like that benefit of breast milk. So there are, scientists have discovered 200 some human oligosaccharides, which is a fancy word for these long carbohydrate chains. Hmm. And what's so fascinating about these, they've discovered these in breast milk. And what's so fascinating is babies can't digest them. So for a long time, scientists were like, what the heck? This makes no sense. Why <laughs> would so much of breast milk be made of something babies literally cannot digest? digest? And what they've discovered is that it's not for the baby. It's for their bacteria. So wow. these are specifically formulated, yes, to lay down the proper microbiome in the baby's gut, breast milk is to feed the child and the bacteria that's supposed to be growing there. I'm like, I'm like, so, my mind is like no. blown right now. I'm just like, <laughs> we like, we are, we are like 99% like bacteria. Like we're not even, yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. Genetically, we are more bacteria than we are human. So this, amazing. it's just fascinating. Right. And that's like, that's mom's goal is her right. body knows how to actually nurture what should be there. Hmm. Um, so then building off that is when you switch off of breast milk, well, then you have to make good choices about how to continue nurturing what's there. And the types of foods that are most closely related to these oligosaccharides are fibrous foods. They're the ones that have these long carbohydrate strains that our body can't digest, but our bacteria can ferment. Hmm. So that's why the switch to those foods helps carry on that mission, helps carry on the goal of continuing this healthy microbiome. Hmm. I love that. That's so interesting. So plant, kind of a plant-based diet, right? Fiber, plant-based diet seems like is a really good way to it mixed with like that nutrient dense food right is is a great way yeah. to 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 kind of maybe switch some of those for the for positive i mean i've i've heard of like you know um there's uh, there's studies i guess um that i've 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 heard of that are like you know people who are genetically predisposed to uh you know maybe diabetes or heart disease or even cancer, right? Like they may, we may not necessarily have to switch those on, right? To, to go right. that direction or at least maybe delay the onset of it by doing these types of things that can keep that epigenetically towards the positive. I mean, is, is that wrong or is that? No, no, no. That's totally, totally accurate. So one of the things, this is another thing that came, that comes up when you talk about like nutrition and mood disorders is something called methylation. Yeah. So methylation oh, is yeah. literally the turning on and off of these genes. And very mm. technically, it's adding a carbon and hydrogen group to, well, carbon and three hydrogen group to um, two different chains within your body, right? So mm. these, this, that reaction turns genes on or off. And if your methylation system is not doing what it should, this affects detoxification, it affects DNA repair, it expects, it, it 
um, affects your neurotransmitter balance. It affects mm. energy and cell repair. So it literally affects everything that's keeping you healthy and happy and feeling good. Because again, so much, it's not yeah. just about whether your neurotransmitters are working. If you feel shitty, that's going to affect your mood. You know, like it's yeah. just yeah. flat out. That's how this works. So again, if your body isn't repairing itself well, you're not yeah. going to feel good. No matter how you're eating or what your neurotransmitters are doing, you there's a negative feedback happening because you just don't feel good. Right. Um, so that's the same thing. It's the methylation pathway is so essential for that. Um, and the things that help provide the nutrients necessary for methylation, which are like B vitamins and sulfur are the big ones, are greens, lots of leafy greens, cruciferous mm. vegetables, and then some really good high quality protein. So again, we're back to exactly what helps make neurotransmitters healthy is lots of leafy greens, vegetables, fibrous foods, and mm -hmm. some healthy protein. What makes the gut healthy? Lots of fibrous foods and good quality protein to help with the mm. cell turnover, right? It's the same stuff over and over again that's really going to make that effect. That's that's so helpful. And um, I'm, I'm curious too with you with regards to that. So leafy greens, uh, you know, and then that, that healthy protein. So uh, there's a lot of people that I've been talking to lately who, who've been thinking about going vegan, right? And- uh -huh. uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, even myself included, I actually, <laughs> I've been wanting to, <laughs> to just try it, um, and, uh, and see, see what, what it, what results I get. But when, when you're talking about vegan or, or even just vegetarian, like how, how does somebody get that really good, healthy protein that, that can be a part of that, that equation? So, I mean, I, I know some of your listeners are probably going to like hate me for this. I, <laughs> I am, <laughs> I, I would never judge anyone for being vegan. I don't judge people for that, but I definitely yeah. don't encourage that. I think okay. that they're, so for example, B12 is a vitamin that is not available outside of animal products. So there mm. is a like legitimate physiological need that suggests we should be eating some form of animal products in our diet. Doesn't mean a ton of them. Doesn't mean it has to be hamburgers, but it suggests we do need some Fish. animal products. Yeah. Fish, eggs, eggs are awesome. Mm. Um, eggs are like perfect protein essentially. Um, the other thing is that from a vegetarian vegan standpoint, their plant there are very few plants that are what are considered complete protein sources. So by complete protein, I mean there are nine amino acids, and amino acids are building blocks for protein. There are nine that are considered essential, and that means our body can't make them. We have to get them from food. There are very few plants that have all nine, whereas most animal products do have all nine. They're just naturally complete proteins. So mm. it's also why some cultures have traditional dishes like beans and rice are a great example. Beans, I'm probably going to switch these two around. Beans, I believe, lack um, cysteine where rice lacks methionine. So when you put them together, you have a complete protein. But you mm. have to eat them together. If you eat them separately, you're missing one of the essential amino acids. Interesting. So when I was in Costa Rica, eating lots of beans and rice, it was good for me. It's 
great in terms of you're getting both. Yeah, you're getting a complete, that complete, complete protein. Complete protein, yeah. But it's harder to do on a vegan or vegetarian diet because you have to be mm. aware of things like that. So people that are doing, I see a lot of people that are doing vegan or vegetarian paleo diets. Hmm. Then you're getting really dicey because you're taking out beans, you're taking out rice, you're taking out grains. It becomes really hard to find complete protein sources. Mm. Right. Yeah. So you're just, you're, you're potentially putting yourself in a damaged position because you're just, it's going to be hard to find them. It just becomes really impossible to find some of the things you need. Um, DHA is another great one. We talked about DHA Hmm. as an omega-3. DHA only shouldn't say that it comes from fish and seafood the only plant-based source is some algae hmm, so interesting. you can't get dha unless you're t- taking like an algae supplement if you're a vegan and you need to get it um the conversion your body can convert some other forms to dha it's an incredibly slow and inefficient conversion and hmm. almost almost across the board isn't sufficient if you're not also supplementing with actual dha Mm, interesting. Yeah. So it just, I mean, it's, it's just harder to do. It's a, you have to become very conscious about what you're eating yeah. to truly do a vegan diet well and safely. Right. Um, and, and again, from like, from like my perinatal perspective, yeah. uh, a lot of the things you need to grow a healthy baby. I've read a great book that really dives into the science about this and I can pretty confidently say you can't do it. You have, you have to supplement in some way um, Mm. because some of the building blocks you need, you just can't get from vegan sources. Hmm. So it puts you, it puts a huge burden on the mom's body if she's not able to get things from, from her food that can help support that. Hmm. This is, so, this is such fascinating stuff. I just, I love, I love uh, just like peeking into your brain and uh, understanding all these things because I feel like it's, it's not just about, you know, okay, you know, what diet are you on or, you know, whether you're going to go vegan or not, but it's like, how does this actually affect our everyday lives and our well being and ultimately our, ultimately our happiness. And Um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, these things are, I think, hand in hand. So this is just really, really fascinating stuff. Yeah. I, I have a million tabs open on my computer at all times that are like (laughs) research articles. I want to read about these things because I'm constantly stumbling across a new one that I'm like, Oh, I got to read this. I got to know about this. Um, and it's just like this never ending list of things I want to read about and understand better because we're learning more and more. And yeah, it's just fascinating. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So there's so many things that I really want to ask you. I want to maybe end on um, one or two more questions here uh, for this Mm -hmm. episode. And so we've been talking a lot about, um, about babies, right. And prenatal health Mm -hmm. and um, mothers. And, um, and and I, I, I've heard there's a lot of, of good things, um, with, with regards to touch, I've, I've uh, read things about human touch and the, um, what comes, mm-hmm. the good that comes from that. And I, I'm just curious too, um, with what you know about gut health too, do you feel like there's a, a correlation, do you think, between like positive human touch um, and, and, this, and gut health? So, you know, we had like chatted a little bit before and um, 
I looked a little bit about one of the questions you had about like oxytocin specifically and didn't mm. immediately find a lot of like good research for it. But what I did okay. find is this, you know, that like circle effect, like tangentially they're related in that. So we know, and I think last time I, I, you and I spoke, we talked about like that stress response and how it shuts down the digestive system. So oxytocin right. It's like the opposite of that. Oxytocin is Mm. this relaxing, really lovely, soft, calming effect. And so if you think about then, okay, well, what's the ripple down consequence of that? If you're experiencing oxytocin, you're almost certainly not going to be in a stress state. Like they just don't exist Mm. together, right? So the consequence is that is that you're bringing down inflammation. You're bringing down cortisol levels. Your digestive system is firing on all cylinders and you're having just a much more calm rest and digest experience if that oxytocin is flowing well and if it's Mm. not then you you know could easily be in that fight or flight zone that's going to compromise have the the opposite consequences right 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 yeah this is i just i was curious about that because i was thinking like you know what if what if at the end of every meal right you just kind of just have a, a a good little hug session for like, you know, 20, like five minutes of hugs <laughs> and just like to start generating that oxytocin. And I don't know, I mean, maybe you should really do like it beforehand. My, oh, before. Oh, so it's starting to, yeah. to really, okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So that would be, that would really, and one of the things, you know, when you do talk about like how to naturally increase oxytocin levels, some of the suggestions are, sharing a meal with a friend. So doing things that put you Hmm. at ease because oxytocin is that like connection hormone. So hugs release oxytocin when going back to babies, when a mother nurses that releases oxytocin for mom and baby. So Mm -hmm. there's this like very gentle relaxing effect every time you do that. Um, in fact, wow. I, this just came to me. So when I had my first C-section with my son, I had been in labor for quite a while and my adrenaline was like sky high. Like my whole body was shaking because it was so full of adrenaline. Yeah. And I remember they got him out and I was shaking so hard. They were like, are you cold? I was like, no, I can't stop. They laid him on my chest and literally within seconds, I stopped shaking completely. My whole system, like just literally relaxed into this like calm, peaceful state just from having him on me. And they had Mm. to lift him off to go weigh him. And as soon as he was off of me, within a few seconds, I started shaking again. And as soon Mm. as he was back, I was totally calm again. So this, that's like how powerful that oxytocin is and how quickly it can be induced just by that physical touch that creates, yeah, this really beautiful um, exchange of neurotransmitters. It's just, it's Hmm. amazing. And so then if you think about how we live so much of our life in a very often isolated social media-esque world, we're missing out on opportunities for a lot of physical touch. And that could Mm. make a huge difference in how much oxytocin we're producing, how often we're experiencing it, and consequently, our stress levels, because we're not getting that really nice oxytocin boost with a hug Mm. from a friend. Mm. 
man, this is like so inspiring. Hugs before meals. And uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, sharing a meal with a friend. That is a, that, that is a beautiful story too. I, I think that's really a powerful story. And I mean, I think about, it makes me think of so many things, right? Like um, whether that's, uh, you know, hugging a friend or your spouse or your partner, or, uh, you know, uh, even, even uh, I've, I've read about h- how much um, just holding a pet, uh, whether that's, you yeah. know, a dog or a cat or you know we have a, we have a little guinea pig right now <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, oh my god that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty cute uh but you know <laughs> those little cuddle sessions i mean how how good that is for um you know our our our, our digestion even i just i love that mm-hmm. so that's really cool, man. This is just, uh, I just, uh, we're definitely going to have you back on the show again. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Aubrey, for your massive amount of, of uh, the, the reading and the, and the research that you've done to, to really help um, all these, all the listeners to inform themselves about how they can have a happier life through uh, thinking about what they eat and, and all these other factors that surround that. Absolutely. I'm so glad we could, we could do it again. Yeah, me too. So thanks so much for being on the call and uh, have a great evening. You too. Wasn't that just an amazing episode with Aubrey? She is just so full of knowledge, this wealth of knowledge about how our nutrition is so important for our mental uh, well-being. And if you want to learn more from her, which I highly recommend, uh, feel free to uh, go to her website, which is backtoscratch.net. Um, you can also follow her on Instagram at obtherd, which is A-U-B underscore the T-H-E underscore R-D. So that's A-U-B underscore T-H-E underscore R-D. So uh, feel free to go follow her there and look at her website. She's got some great stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we're definitely going to have her back on the show here at more happy life as well. So thank you so much for listening as always have a wonderful day, wherever you are in the world and a wonderful and more happy life. I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.